Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Stephen Morris, the European Banking Correspondent, and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Today, we're going to be talking about banks, falling interest rates, weak trading volumes, and the increasing automation of various back office systems and trading have led to an exceptionally brutal summer for global investment banks. They have announced plans to shed tens of thousands of jobs, most notably at Deutsche, one of the perennial poor performers among the European banking system. And with me to discuss this is our US finance editor, Robert Armstrong. So Robert, why don't we kick off by saying how many jobs may be lost and tell me a bit about where the axe is falling the hardest. Well, I think you have to start with this story with Deutsche Bank, which is planning to let go some 18,000 people many of them in its trading operation and especially in equity trading. I think that all makes sense because, as you say, Deutsche Bank has been struggling and also because equity trading is a business in particular that has been under pressure. It's very difficult for anyone but the top couple of players to make money in this business. It's an increasingly computerized business. And Deutsche Bank is certainly not one of the top players, nor is its technology reputed to be the best. The question after that is, given that Deutsche Bank is letting so many people go, who follows? And we've had announcements from the likes of HSBC, SockGen, Citibank, and Barclays, all suggesting that they will be laying people off, oftentimes in the thousands, and always with an emphasis on trading desks. The total number comes to something over 30,000. But of course, you have to ask, other than the announced headcount reductions, is there more of this going on in the background? Exactly. It may not just be sort of the headline figure of we are cutting X number of jobs, but also just letting people run off through natural attrition as people leave or as people retire. So the European banks are struggling story has been rumbling now for many years, and it looks like a lot of them are starting to give up their dreams of still being able to compete with Wall Street in investment banking. But are we seeing any regional variations in the type of layoffs? I mean, are these focused on London here, or are they spread sort of evenly across the continent? It's hard to say. The banks don't tend to specify exactly where the axe is going to fall. But from what we can read in the announcements, the headcount is spread fairly evenly. We've heard banks talking about London, Frankfurt, Paris. And another point that is worth mentioning is that New York State actually gives fairly detailed figures about banking employment in New York City. And we've also seen those figures start to roll over starting at the end of last year. Of course, we don't know exactly where the jobs are being lost, but those data show that in securities trading, once again, the number of jobs is declining. So there is, of course, a European story here. European banks have struggled, never recovered properly from the crisis. But it also seems like we are seeing an industry-wide phenomenon here. So let's discuss the main factors behind these cuts. And I think the best place to start, considering recent news flow, is interest rates. So why have recent cuts on both sides of the pond caused lenders to start reducing their staffing levels? Well, almost every activity banks engage in, one way or another, 
depends on making money on collecting interest. Even trading activity is easier when the underlying securities you're trading generate some kind of income or some kind of float that, as it were, greases the wheels of trading. So with interest rates falling, there is just less liquidity sloshing around the system, and these trading activities become very unforgiving from the point of view of profit. And allied with that feature of potentially very low for a very long time interest rates, we also have the growth in automation, both in back office systems, compliance, but also trading. There are fewer humans involved and more algos and machines doing the work. What's going to happen with this trend? I mean, are we just going to see more and more actual people lose their jobs in this section of the industry? Well, speaking from the point of view of banks' clients, all you can say is, well, I certainly hope so. This is a activity where you have two counterparties. One wants to buy something and the other wants to sell it. And the question you're asking is how many people need to stand between those two people? And the answer in an ideal world might be very few indeed. Now, in the case of cash equities, good old-fashioned stock trading, automation has taken most of the people out already. Most cash equities are traded in a no-touch automated fashion. The question is, how long until the same happens with slightly weirder, more bespoke, custom-built instruments in things like fixed income, for example? And the answer is, the process may move more slowly, but no one seems to think that the process will not keep going. Yes, and that is one of the major ways a lot of bank executives are hoping to cut their costs and also reduce the risk of further misconduct scandals by putting nefarious traders in between those two clients. Finally, trading volumes and sort of the wallet, as it's known in the industry, the amount of money available to all the players in the industry. These both seem to be really shrinking at the moment, not quite around record lows, but certainly not particularly healthy. What is this model to do for the rest of the year? Are people expecting it to bounce back, become more volatile and more lucrative, or are we going to see these depressed levels continue? Well, Stephen, this is a debate we've been listening to for at least a decade since the financial crisis. And especially in fixed income and commodity trading, there's always been a camp that says, just give it a little more time, the market will come back. And another camp that says, in connection with lower interest rates, more passive trading, changes in the way institutions invest, the good old days are simply not coming back. And I think that debate remains absolutely live, and we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you're seeing two parallel processes over here in Europe. What's known as FOMO, fear of missing out. Deutsche Bank wanted to hang on to its equities business for as long as possible to see if it recovered before eventually deciding to take an axe to it. And Barclays is still pursuing that strategy, hoping that the exit of some of their rivals will help boost their share of the market. But it's important to note, Stephen, I think you make an excellent point, but it's important to note that Barclays' advantage is that it has a real leg in the United States market because of its acquisition of what was Lehman Brothers' equity operation. So it gets a little bit more of the U.S. flow, which gives it an advantage that Deutsche Bank lacked. That's right. So in addition to all the other ways we've talked about how banks are being squeezed, they're also being hit by a raft of new regulations, many of which were 
proposed in the wake of the financial crisis and are sort of still being finalized now. Rob, how is this affecting the trading side of their businesses? The way banks think about their profitability is in terms of the returns on the capital that they hold. And the primary impact of the banking regulations we've seen so far and the ones still to come is that they increase the amount of capital that banks are required to hold against their assets. That means your business has to be more profitable in order for the returns on that increased pile of capital in the background to be acceptable. So this is why I think there are fewer and fewer banks that can make a go of it in these markets' businesses. Only those that capture a huge amount of the volume and do it efficiently with highly computerized and cutting-edge systems can wring enough profit out to make an acceptable return given the capital regulations we see. And those capital regulations, at least in Europe, are set only to tighten. So you can see why a Deutsche Bank might decide it's just not happening. We're the number five player or whatever in this market. We don't get a ton of volume. We need to make a huge investment in the technology to keep up. And every dollar of trading we do, we have to have whatever it is, $3 of capital in the background. It's just never going to happen on return of equity. Let's move on. So generally, trading is becoming less profitable. Banks are really struggling to generate an acceptable return on equity. That's the investment banking side. But what about the retail side? At Deutsche, a lot of those 18,000 cuts could be related to general runoff of people in their various German banks that they run. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And you've touched on one of the other great debates around banking. Now, any bank, you listen to any bank quarterly call with analysts, for example, and there's a lot of talk about digital banking and how more and more client relationships are initiated through a smartphone or a computer rather than in a branch. And so we look forward to a day as bank investors when the physical infrastructure of banking becomes smaller and smaller as the digital infrastructure grows and the returns rise and costs go down. However, you would know more about Europe than I would. In the United States, the branch remains incredibly resilient. You can't swing a cat on a street in New York City without hitting a Citibank and a JP Morgan and a Bank of America branch. So the physical bricks and mortar face of banking seems very persistent. I'm sure that the boards of banks all over the place would like to get rid of all those rent payments and the related expensive physical infrastructure, but it's one of those things that happens more slowly than everyone expects. That's right. Well, it looks like it's not a great time to be a banker at the moment, but perhaps all of these changes mean it will be a better time to be a customer soon. That's what we're hoping for, Stephen. Thanks, Robert, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget, if you missed previous episodes on the advance of intelligent robots, the renminbi versus the dollar, or India's crackdown in Kashmir, you can find them on all the usual podcast platforms. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. 
published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.